How is everybody this morning? I'm glad somebody's here. Yeah, he's just kind of random, isn't he? Very random, Randy. I quote you. I'm going to quote you. Is that right? Is that right? All right, so uh, a couple announcement things here real quick and on the handout for the class, for the lesson today. Bible conference is the 11th of September, so that's about a month away. Uh, so mark that on your calendar and try to be here as often as you can. Um, everything pretty much is the same, uh, except the last two times we, we set a tent out in the front parking lot. Uh, did meals out there. We're not doing it. We're doing the tent, but not out front. It's going to be uh, in front of the armory in the grass area. Um, and uh, there's a reason for that because on the 28th of August, so that's just a couple of weeks away, we're having uh, what we're calling an open house for the Bible ministry. So uh, I'm not sure how this is going to go. We've never done anything like this before, so it's unique. Uh, but uh, we're going to provide some. Um, just, we're going to walk people through the armory and how we do Bibles and what we're trying to get accomplished and everything. And uh, and then we're going to feed everybody. The ministry is providing uh, uh, hot dogs. And um, not just your plain nor a little simple hot dog. But these are big ones. Wow, you had me at a big hot dog. Big, big. Well, not only that, but... So there's going to be an insert in the bulletin next week, and it's your it's your your hot dog order form. Okay, so if you want to, I don't know. Hot dogs. Okay, so they will have it ready to go. You just hand them the order form. They'll make your hot dogs, and at the end of the line, you get your hot dogs and your drink and your chips and stuff. So the tent's going to be set out there. Um, so that's going on. I, I'd, I'd probably give you more information about the open house, but we've never done one, so I don't know exactly how this is going to go. But we'll take people around in different places. Some people, it's really amazing. There's some people that have never been in attended a Bible conference and they don't know what we do in the building. And so that's kind of like we're just going to educate people and let them see what we do. Maybe recruit some new workers, especially for the Bible conference itself and for the ministry. I mean, we're working uh, well, in the month of August. We're doing every Wednesday plus two Saturdays. So it's uh, about seven or eight days just in the month of August that we're making Bible. And we're making a lot of Bibles. Um, so that's going on. Um, our next cleaning is, so the Bible conference is from the 11th to the 14th, and our church, our class um, is cleaning on, on the 17th. I don't think that's going to be too big of a deal. We'll probably come in and just touch up, but uh, the Bible conference will thin, we'll clean up everything as, as we close down the Bible conference. You know, there might be a few things left to deal with, but we'll take care of that on the, the weekend of the 17th. 
I've got uh, Judy Steele. Uh, she, I did see her Sunday. You may have seen her yourself. She seemed to be doing well, uh, but uh, they're not here this morning. So I don't know if they're. I don't know if she went back down again. I don't know, but she said she <clears throat> she still had problem coughing, and her lungs are still hurting. Uh, Terry Terry Wilson is still recovering from surgery, and I got Sharon Bolton on here. I, I, I was going to talk to you about that, but you prayed specifically for Sharon last week, so. Add on there. She's, she's having some issues, so pray for Sharon that she can get through, and that God would help her deal with what's going on with her. And then, uh, uh, just a reminder for people that maybe you know somebody that hasn't been through D1 yet, and you encourage them to be discipled. Uh, D2 and then Bible Institute. Bible Institute starts next week, but anybody that wants to take Bible Institute class can still sign up. And uh, we're going to have we're going to get started next Tuesday night for the class. Um, and then uh, let's see, Brian's got some things he wanted to remind people of. Um, I don't know anything about this, but maybe maybe uh, uh, Jeremy can explain it. But apparently, there's a multi-team prayer team meeting this the next Sunday, the 21st, after church. Um, Brian or uh, Doug Doug Howie is our main speaker on Sunday morning, and then I guess they're going to be at his prayer team and a couple other prayer teams meeting and having lunch. And Doug's going to speak again to probably just talk a little bit, and uh, and then the teams will separate uh, and have their regular meeting. So that's a big that's basically accurate. Yeah, yeah. There will be Connect Republic and uh, Doug Howie's team, and then the Java team. Okay. But anyone who also just wants to learn about what prayer support teams are can come and there will be a lunch. Okay. Good. Um, and offering food is always a good thing. <laughs> so um, the 10th tenth, the tenth annual uh, Life Issues Recovery Walk is, is they're, they're still underway. That's September 2nd. They're trying to raise uh, well there's information in the lobby about what they're trying to raise. Um, and then um, Women's Invest Study, just as a reminder, Tuesday mornings, Thursday nights. Uh, Jamie Davis is heading up a new, uh, well, it's a, it's a restart of a ministry, the, the Cass County the Juvenile Detention Center. We're going to be going in and teaching Bible studies to the youth in the detention center. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in being a part of that, if you were in the past and you want to start up again, you probably already knew about it, but if you you're interested in teaching a Bible study there, uh, get a hold of, to, of um, either Steve and or Jared, James Davis pretty quickly because they've got to get your, your name processed through this, through all of the files to make sure that you're not a criminal yourself. Um, I don't know what they do, but they do, do some background check. And then um, mission trips, we do have three mission trips that they're, they're um, we're still trying to fill up with people. The trip to Monmouth, the trip to Oaxaca, Mexico, and the trip to the Dominican Republic. So those are out there. And um, so we have a new building. You may or may not know, but uh, we were the church was donated a, 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 a tractor with some uh, mowing decks on it and stuff. And so we now have a, a behind the behind the armory building is a, is a is, let me just call it a tractor shed. And uh, so that's where that's going. So that got done uh, and completed last week. And I think that's everything on the uh, on prayer. I mean, um, 
So let's go over to uh, John chapter 1, verse 29. We'll read, we'll read from 29 down to 42, and then we'll go to prayer, and then we'll get into the lesson. I should ask, does anybody have any other prayer needs or anything that we want to mention? So my daughter Ellie is starting a school this Wednesday at Summit Christian. So she's in a new school district, and she also starts her grad school classes. So it's going to be a real overwhelming week. So we just pray that she has the strength. So she's teaching someplace else. Yeah, she's teaching at Summit Christian in the Summit, which is probably going to be a good change. Oh, cool. Okay. Thank you. Um, I actually mentioned something to, in the lobby to somebody that we would pray about. What's that? Okay, well, all right, well, anyway, John chapter 2, John chapter 1, verse 29, we'll read down to, uh, down to verse 42. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man who, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit of descending from heaven like a dove, and an abode on him. Upon him, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, after John stood, two of his disciples, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as they walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them, and followed him, and said unto them, Why, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. Then came and we, then came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, where it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard Jesus heard John speak and following him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to, to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this passage of scripture as we read and we're reminded, Lord, that you are the Lamb of God. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah, the Savior. We're thankful, Lord, for those titles that you have as a reminder of who you are in our relationship with you uh, and, uh, and that you, you rule over us, you guide us, you direct us, and you protect us. We do pray, Father, that you would uh, move uh, in Judy's life uh, and Terry Wilson and Sharon, Lord, that you would heal uh, their their bodies, Lord, the things that they're they're dealing with and, and um, addressing, Lord, that you would take care of them. We pray, Father, that you would help us be able to declare to the world, uh, Lord, that you are your Son Jesus is the Lamb of God, 
and that that represents the sacrifice of, of your desire to save us. And we pray, Father, that you would give us that ability to do that at all times. Lord, and, and that we would be bold like John to, to make that declaration. And people would say, I'm going to follow him because you told me who he was. Well, what, that would be an awesome thing. We ask for your blessing on the day. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your word, and especially this passage that, that, that shows us to behold Jesus, to, to see him, or to know him. The one to whom the Father is well pleased. Lord, help us to not only see for ourselves that we may grow and many more, but to invite others to come and see as well, that they may follow you and we may follow you. Lord, we just ask that um, you help the teachers that are going back to school in the area, and you know that um, children that demographic is one of the most favorite favorite place to just attack and get into their minds while they're young. And so many aren't able to bear a record that. Jesus is your son because of the school districts that they're in. And you know that a huge problem in public schools is that they're just trying to keep you out of them. And I just thank you for Ellie's opportunity to be in a school that actually is going to get to um, talk about you and teach kids about you. And um, I just pray for those kids that are going to schools like that, that you just find other ways than to hear the word. Father, we conclude in prayer. We're thankful again that we come before you in prayer. We ask, Father, for, for your wisdom and uh, that we would gain your wisdom, Lord, by paying attention to what you say in your word. Give us uh, the ability to, to discern, uh, Lord, things and help us to be bold before the world to declare your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this passage of scripture that we're studying in the book of Colossians. We ask you to speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Okay, so we're in Colossians. Let's get over there. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're at. Uh, we're not going to get very far in that chapter this morning. We're going to do really just the first six verses. So let's read that real quick. I'm going to get to my page. Paul writes to the church of Colossians chapter 4. He says, Masters, Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Then he says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Lest your speech be always, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And so we got this passage here, and over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, we've been working our way through the, the book of ch uh, chapter, uh, chapter three, and 
in chapter 3, we learned a lot about molding ourselves into something specific that reflects true Christianity. In verses 1 to 4, this is a reminder, uh, we talked about our life must reflect Christ. That's what the passage really is talking about. So there's a reflection that we should look like Christ. In verses 5 to 15 of chapter 3, we found out that we should put on what we should put on. Uh, remember we talked about really putting on the new man. And so there's this, I mean, once you're saved, you have the new man, but you know what, you can still walk around in your old duds, looking like you used to, behaving like you used to. And God says, no, you need to be the new man. You need to look like the new man. And in verses 12 to 16, we looked at what we will do and what we should not do in, in uh, relation to uh, our behavior. And then uh, he wrapped up chapter two, chapter 3, talking about our conduct, becoming a believer, and to basically to walk our talk, what we should do. So Paul's given us a lot of things to think about. I mean, if we were just to sit back and just kind of go through the first three chapters again, just thinking about what, what it is that Paul has communicated to us, uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of things that he's talked to us about, uh, about how we should live out or how we should walk like Christ or maybe we should say living out the doctrines that we know and believe that's basically it if you if you had if you believe the doctrines of the Bible then your life should reflect that belief that because you should line yourself up with those doctrines uh, which is kind of where Paul talked about it as we just got reading that passage there um, so you may think that everything that needs to be said, has already been said, and there's enough for us to figure out how to let the peace of God. Remember, we talked about the peace of God in chapter two, and the peace of God and the word and, and the word of God guide our every thought and our behavior. But well, we by now we should know how to do that. But there's one more thing. Paul's not done yet uh, because he needs to address probably what I would distort, define as the single most dangerous part of the human anatomy. You might know what that is. The single most dangerous part of the human anatomy. Mouth. That's the one that can create a problem, big time. Paul's going to address the mouth now. Uh, he's not done yet. He needs to address that. So, be But before we get into what he has to say about the mouth, I just want to mention about verse 1. We didn't really talk about verse 1. Verse 1, it, you know, it's amazing how God divides up his word using chapters and verses and all that stuff. And sometimes we would think, well, that should go here. That should, that should be a part of that. You know, when you start looking at context. Well, verse 1 really kind of fits a, a, fits real well with verses 15 to 25 of chapter 3. And we talked about that, uh, those, those behaviors in chapter 3, how to live out, uh, how, to, how to live out that conduct that's that kind of guiding in your family. Remember in, the, in chapter, chapter 3, he talked about in verse, starting in verse 18, wives. Submit yourselves. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives. Verse 20, children, obey your parents. Number 21, fathers, provoke. So there's a, there's a family dynamic relationship that needs to be addressed. And then in verse 22, he talked about servants. And he's dealing about servants and how a servant should respond. But we didn't talk about masters yet. And that's what verse verse 1 of chapter 4 is. And he says, he says uh, so so we read, we read that Paul spoke about conduct. Becoming a believer. The conduct becoming. Remember I used that term? I was watching a, another war movie. I like watching war movies. And, um, and the, the guy was, had, several guys had gone, 
in the Navy, Navy movie, so you may not know this term, but they went to captain's mass, which is not a good thing. That's when you report to the captain. He's, he is like, I mean, that's the judgment seat of, of the captain. You go to judge, you go to, he rules on you if you violated the Uniform Code of Military Justice. He, you know, he throws you in the brick, brick with bread and water or whatever he does, docks your pay, busts you down, whatever. And so these guys went there, and, and he said they were charged with conduct unbecoming. And so right there, so Paul's talking about conduct, last week we talked about conduct becoming. The, the counter to that is conduct unbecoming. And so when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, you have to think about this. I, I, when I get there, I'm going. We're all going to the judgment seat of Christ. There's no doubt about that. If you're saved, if you're a believer, you're going to the judgment seat of Christ. You will be judged. That's, just, that's what's going to happen. Will you be judged for conduct becoming or conduct unbecoming? That's the question that we need to define now so we can adjust our life to be conduct becoming. And Paul, the last thing that Paul talks about is is uh, is the leadership of or masters. He tells masters, which you can be supervisors, leaders, bosses, whatever term you want to do, to do three things. He says three things. First, he, a leader must uh, be just. It must be just. To be just means to be righteous, to be right. So, uh, you know, going to going to captain's mast. The, the captain, I mean, you don't get to argue with the captain. It's like, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever, aye, aye, sir, and, you know, head for the brig. Whatever the case is, you, you take that. So, he, so, uh, so, but he does need to be just. And, and not only does he need to be just, but, but as, a, as a master, you also need to be, be able to be equal in your behaviors towards, towards your servants. So equal means to lead by giving out equal portion of equity. So when you're, when you're, when you're, um, you're not always picking on the same guy all the time to do things. And then the last thing that he talks about in that verse, the third thing puts you, puts you as a master in a position of a servant. So he says, master, you may be a master, but you're still a servant. Because Jesus Christ is your master. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. That's how he wraps up that verse. Uh, so how you expect, this is the point that he's making. How you expect Christ or how you desire Christ to treat you is how you treat your servants. There's, there's, there's an expectation there. So that's, that's him kind of wrapping all of that up. And then he gets into chapter chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, which is as far as we're going to go. And I would just title this, Spiritual Care for Others. Because we're kind of talking about our relationship and interaction with other people, whether it's our family, our, our job, our co-workers, whatever. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a, a, an issue here that Paul's addressing that I call spiritual care for others. So we've seen the connection between the conduct of the believer and family and the other relationships. But equally as important as all of that is those relationships that we have to pray for other people. To pray for other people. And so verse 2, notice he says, continue in prayer. That's the way he starts it off, is continue in prayer. And I would say this, that one of the greatest evidences of a strong Christian is their prayer life. A strong Christian is going to have a strong prayer life. One of the best examples of, for us in, about how the is how the apostles always gave themselves continually to prayer and ministry. You know what he said? They said, or what? But what, what the, the the apostles, the leaders of the church, said in Acts chapter six, verse four. 
He said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So they're, they're going to they're, they're pray all the time. And we should, we should have that same kind of motivation that, I, that we should continue in prayer all the time. So to continue then, continue means to not neglect prayer. To, that's pretty straightforward. Continue means not to neglect. Uh, including both actually praying. So there's two things when it comes to this. Praying, actually actually praying, and then the other part of it is taking advantage of every opportunity you have to pray. I mean, if there's a, there's a chance to pray, you should pray. Because a Christian prays. That's what Christians do. Pray. While we share here, everybody should have an opportunity to pray. Not that you have to, but if you're moved, Continue in prayer. That's all of us continue in prayer until we can all, all, all uh, please the Lord. Um, Luke in Luke chapter eighteen verse one, Jesus was he was he was sharing another one of his parables, and it says, and he spoke a parable unto them to this end, and this is what he said: that man ought to always pray and not faint. Now, why would that be a parable? Uh, we have we studied parables here a few years back. And that's an interesting thing. I don't have time right now to, to dig into that. Uh, I'm not going to take the time. But this is an interesting question. Why is that a parable? Because he always used parables, which is actual true life events or circumstances, to teach. So if this parable, and, and let me turn to Luke 18. Speak a parable unto them to, unto them to this end, that men ought to always to pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge who feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in the city, and she came unto him and, and avenged me my adversary, and he would not for a while. And there's a whole story about behavior and about caring for others. And that's really the focus there. So praying is caring for other people, especially when you're praying for other people. So we see the concept of continuing in prayer spoken in several different places in the Bible. And there are directives about prayer. Paul wrote in chapter 1 of this book that we're in, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, that he did not cease to pray for this church. He didn't even know them. He had not met them. But he never. He says, and this is his claim, that he never... He, 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 um, I lost my place in my notes. He did not cease to pray for this church. But he also told some other churches a very similar thing. He said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he said, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then, of course, I think everybody just automatically should know 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, which says, Pray without ceasing. There should, be not, there should never be a time... When, I mean, I know we come to the end and say, Amen. You know, I understand. that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Paul means. That Paul doesn't mean never get to the amen part. What he means is, don't stop praying because you're a Christian and you should be praying all the time. Everything should be prayer. Even in your mind, you know, you're, you're busy doing whatever you're doing, washing dishes, uh, mowing the grass, whatever. That should, that's a time when you can pray. And just don't run over your foot. <laughs> 
Paul also reminds us, he reminded the Romans and us as well, that our prayer should not be subject to hesitation. I think this is interesting. So not only do we pray without ceasing, but we also pray without hesitation. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, he says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing, instant in prayer. Instant. That means, well, you know what, when I get home, I'm going to pray. You know, when somebody says, would you pray for this? Yeah, just go ahead. Let's pray right now. That's instant in prayer. Don't don't say, oh, you know what, I'll, I will. I'll pray tonight. You know, I, I'll get to my prayer closet. I'll put you on the list. I'll pray for you. Then you forget. Then it's like, and then you see him. Did you pray for me? Oh, well, of course I prayed for you. Don't be like that. So prayer, it should be instant. Peter also suggests that through prayer, you know, when we pray, we are able to watch over the lives of those who are in our life. When you pray, you're actually overlooking. You're watching out over the person. He said in first, in second, no, we got First Peter four seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Pray for protection for those people. Paul encourages also to watch in prayer, which is to he, he literally means to watch in prayer, to stay awake in prayer. That means that's what he says to watch in prayer. You. Know, I know, you know, it's it's not beyond understanding. You know, sometimes we get to be praying and or we're in a group and praying and we're praying. And all of a sudden, you next thing you know, you, you your mind has drifted away. Paul says, but don't let that happen. Stay awake in prayer. Remember when Jesus was praying in Gethsemane, and his disciples they they came with him, but they um, they could not stay awake and they missed what was coming. They were unaware of the danger approaching or how to, how to battle its coming. They weren't praying for the protection of their, of their, of their uh, Savior. They weren't praying. They were sleeping. Well, they probably were sleeping. But, you know, because it was midnight, late, they got up early, they were sleeping. But I think in this case, there's some serious need to stay awake and pray. When Jesus says, pray with me, uh, he, I think we he, they, should have stu- they should have stayed awake. Or at least tried. Whether they did or not, I don't know. I don't know. We, were, we really don't know. Habakkuk. Gonna, we won't turn there and I won't read the whole verse. But in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, that we stand upon a watch and that we see we see what God will say. He, that's what he says. I'm going to stand upon a watch and see what God says to me. When you're praying, now we always teach, and I don't disagree with this, when we pray, we're talking to God and we read it where God's talking to us. But you know, don't you think that God talks to you while you're talking to Him? I mean, when you're praying, doesn't He bring back to remembrance of things and He's like, yeah, you know, we... We, we have this fellowship with the Father because we're in a spiritual mode at this point in time where we're praying. We're not just uttering words. We should be in a spiritual mode. Continuing in prayer instructs us that we must be mindful of the danger that threatens us and others. Paul said to the Thessalonians in chapter, chapter 5, verse 6, he said, Let us not sleep as do the others, but let us watch and be sober. So, be wa- to be watching. To be, to be looking out for, to be caring for people 
literally to pray for them. You know, I mean, it's not it's, it's no different than you know, okay, we got a, we got a prayer team or a missionary team going to Oaxaca. Pray for that team, you know, when they're flying. Pray for them when they're on the ground. I mean, those are all valid prayer requests, and we should do those kind of things. But when we, if you think about when you're praying, you're not just praying that they have uh, opportunity. You're praying for their protection as well. You're, you're, you're. It's as if, and I'm not saying that it is, but it is as if you and God are trying to over. Put a, put a shell of protection, put a hedge of protection around that team to protect them in your prayers. And that's kind of where he says in verses 3 and 4, this is a, a little bit more specific verse, or request, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may manifest as I ought to speak. So, now pray. So first is continue, be continual in prayer, and then secondly, verses three and four, first part of four anyway, pray that the Lord opens doors. Now I would say evangelism is always looking for an open door. That's what evangelists are doing. They're looking for an open door. Some more important thing. So what more important thing to pray for than doors of utterance? I mean, you guys went over to this, to uh, uh, Clinton. You guys had a good time. You any life changing? So I, you guys may not realize what that's about, and maybe forgot because I actually, unfortunately, I got busy on Saturday and totally forgot that you guys were going over until afterwards. But the group of people went over to Clinton to work with New Life, door to door, inviting them to an event. And if I think the event had something to do with barbecue for veterans or something like that, and so we're going to pass out Bibles and different things. So let me just say this. Now, we have regular scheduled days, like I go, um, taking them to the streets, going door to door with invitations to hear the gospel or join us for our events. That same type of thing. We do that. Uh, the three prayer team, prayer meeting, I mentioned, and I already talked about that, the prayer teams are praying, getting together to pray for protection of our missionaries and such, and the trips and everything. But I'm going to throw this out at the same because I was thinking about this. Now, we have I go prayer teams. I think several people know what the IGO prayer teams are for opportunities for our relationships. But, you know, not everybody goes door to door on those on the taking to the streets days. So maybe for those who can't or won't go, maybe they stay by the stuff and pray for those who have gone out. Now, I don't know what the timing is on everything like that. And I don't know. You guys come back anymore? We used to bring people back to the church uh, to do that. So, so if you if you're not going to if you're not able to go out knocking door to door, walking around in, in a neighborhood, just take that time, that two hours of time or whatever it is, and just pray. Pray for the people that are out that they would have an opportunity to, first off, not be you know yelled at when they knock on a door, chased off or whatever, but they would have an open opportunity to, to minister. So this door that Paul speaks of literally is a it's a it's a metaphor, of course for any opportunity to present the doctrine of truth surrounding the mystery of Christ. So he's, so that's the door he's talking about. There's an even more important uh, in just a moment. So he talks about being able to, at the end of verse 3, to speak the mystery of Christ. So the term mystery reflects or refers to specifically to the doctrines 
of which are known, we call them the seven mysteries of the Bible, New Testament, seven mysteries of the New Testament. So I think I have them listed in your notes, but let me just, and we're not going to read the verses, but I will mention God in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. That's, that's the first mystery. God is it. God came in the flesh. The second um, mystery is Christ in you. We talked about that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And then we talk about Christ in the church in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. And then Israel's restoration in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. That's one that most people don't get right. They may get a lot of other things right, but they just completely ignore that God's plan to restore Israel uh, to His promises. And they, that's the term that we would use called replacement theology, where the church has replaced Israel. No, that's not it. God has a plan. That's the mystery. God has a plan for Israel, even though it appears that it doesn't. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 51 is the rapture, the mystery of the rapture. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 is the mystery of the iniquity. And then the last one in Revelation 17, 5 is the mystery of Babylon, Babylon mystery religion. Now, this is an interesting thing about these mysteries. These mysteries, they actually... When you study them out in depth, you will literally, I believe, you will reveal all the doctrines in the Word that's available to understand. All of the doctrines. Okay, so let's say, let's go back to the first one, for example. Uh, God in the flesh. Well, when you start talking about God in the flesh, I mean, there's a lot of things you can explore in the Bible and look at different things uh, that teach that teach that truth, and you learn a whole lot more than just that one doctrine. You learn a lot of different things. Um... So these mysteries reveal, reveal all the doctrines, I believe, in the Word of God that is to be made manifest or declared or presented as visible truth. So, that, you know, I don't know. Some people just think, well, it's a seven-item seven list and you just memorize it you know, you know the mysteries. Now, you really need to dig down into them. I don't know what D2 does anymore, but I teach this in a, in a doctrines class in the Bible Institute, and I drill down pretty deep into it all. Um, a little plug for you, or maybe you want to join, join us in the Bible Institute. Last thing I'll say about this is that we watch in prayer that correct doctrine is made manifest, and we watch and we pray that truth goes forth from each believer. So we, you know, uh, we're not only are we just praying that somebody has an open door, but we also pray that that we know when there's a false door. You know, remember that movie? I can't remember what it was. Not movie, but it was a TV sh- game show. It had three doors. What was that show? Anybody remember that show? Make a deal. Just make a deal? Yeah, that's what it was. I'll take door number two. False door. You know, then you get busted and you lose all your money. You know, you go home broke. You know, but if you get the right door, you've got got riches. Right? So anyway, I don't know why I was thinking. Then at the end of verse four, he, he also says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. That's an interesting word. You know, ought and ought. With an O and with an A. And I always get them wrong. So I learned today how to tell them apart. Ought with an A is anything. Ought is, that equals anything. Ought, A, anything. The other one is with an O is ought. It's obligation. You ought to do this. So O is an O, O is an obligation, A isn't an, is an anything. Kind of help me remember. So what Paul is saying in verse 4, 
that I may make it manifest as I, um, as I have an obligation to speak. That's what verse 4 is talking about. It has an obligation to speak. And what's our obligation? I'll tell you, pray for others that they, are, that they would have ought as well. Opportunity, wisdom, knowledge, those kind of things are the oughts that they need to have. So they ought to have it that's an A. They ought to have all that stuff so they can ought speak out the Word of God. <clears throat> there is a necessity to pray, not just because Christians pray, but because it is the nature of Christianity to pray. It is by nature, Christianity's by nature, prayer is part of our part, part of our function. We don't pray so that we can get right with God. We pray because we're right with God. You know, some religions you have to pray if you if you don't get down on your knees at a certain time, face a certain direction, you know, and bow down so many times and all that stuff, and you know, you're 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 not going to be in right in, right with God. Their God. But we pray not because we want to get right, we pray because we're right. Now, last thing I'll say before we get to verse 5, they ought to be salted words for preserving those words in the mind and the heart of believers. So he says in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them without which, um, verse 6, let your speech always be seasoned with salt. Let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer every man. So before I get to the salt thing, I've kind of jumped a little bit too far. Let me talk about verse, verse 5, your interaction with the lost world. Notice he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. The term them, without, means that those who are not believers, obviously. It's pretty straightforward. But it also means to be to be without also implies that they are that they are out out of doors. Now think about that. You know, we're indoors right now. We're indoors. You go out outside, you're outdoors. Think about that. Paul says that those um, without, pray for those that are outside the door. Where's the, who is the door? Where is the door? The door is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the door. They're outside the door. Think about that. They're, we're supposed to be in Christ and Christ in us. They're out of the door. They're out the door. They're, they're outside the door. That reminds you of uh, Revelation 3.1. Yeah, if you're outside, you're exposed to the enemy. If you're out, if you're out the door, if you're not inside the door, if you're not behind the door, then you are exposed, and uh, and it becomes a problem, spiritually speaking, anyway. Uh, so to be without him, to be without implies that there are out of doors. Peter said this. Remember when Peter was was kind of hanging around after Jesus Christ got arrested. It's interesting. John chapter 18, verse 16. It says, Peter stood at the door without. Well, he did. He wasn't inside listening to what was going on. He was outside. So he was out the door. And then went out the other disciple, which was known unto the high priest and spake unto them that kept the door, and brought in Peter. So they brought him in. He didn't want to be inside, unfortunately, because he, he didn't know what was going to happen to him. Even Jesus Christ, as we've already said, talked about being, him being a door 
And to be without the door is to be outside of Christ. John 10, 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. Okay, so walking and praying in wisdom that the lost know that they can come in the door. That's part of our prayer. That's what he's meaning in verse 5. Walking or praying in wisdom that those that are lost know that they can come in the door. Some people will think, well, God will never accept me. God doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm, you know, I've, I've sinned too much. I've done my life was terrible. But in this, in all this prayer and in these witnessing and sharing the gospel with people, your speech should be seasoned with salt. Now, interesting salt. I mean, some people really like salt. And I, I, I took shakes and Jewel was on me. Don't put any more salt on here. You know, but she turned around and threw more shakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, here's an interesting fact about salt. You know, you ever, what is a salary? What's your salary? What am I talking about? Salary. Your payment, right, for your job. That actually comes from the root word salt, which, comes, which is also the root word for salt. Your salary and salt are the same. You ever heard the phrase, uh, you're worth your weight in salt? Because there was a time in the salt trade, it was really, I mean, merchant ships going around the world trying to find salt so they could bring it back and sell it and make millions of dollars or whatever value they were looking at. So it's an interesting thing about salt. salt. Salt draws out moisture, not only in the food that it's wrapped around, but it also draws out moisture from the bacteria that are trying to grow on, the, on that. That's how it preserves them. So it draws out the moisture. It draws out the moisture so the, the bacteria can't, can't grow. So when you speak, you should be a preserving the soul and securing the life from bac destructive bacteria. Just think about the bacteria being an evil, you know, or a, 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 a sinful behavior or a... Uh, something that's going to impact somebody negatively. When you, your speech is seasoned with salt, you're, you're trying to preserve that person, not only that person, but also keep them from being invaded by bacteria. That's what salt was. You know, they would, I don't know, I've never seen this done, but I, I think this, they get a barrel, they put meat in and they cover it with salt, they put some more meat and cover it with salt, put some more meat and cover it with salt, then close the lid. And that was, that's why bacon is so salty. At least it used to be. I don't know if they still do that or not, or they just sprinkle salt on bacon before they sell it. I don't know. Okay, so anyway, your words should preserve. That's the point. Your words should preserve. So I'm thinking about all of this. I'm thinking about, you know, there's some examples here. Obviously, Paul gives us an example. Uh, you know, there's a lot of example prayers in the Bible. Many are prayers for something the speaker is asking God for. You know, Moses asked for, for himself, Joshua, Solomon, all did the same. Paul, Paul prayed and asked, asking for the church to pray for him and, and gave some, some prayer points there. So this text is a good prayer reminder of the example of what a prayer request looks like. Paul is simply asking for prayer that God give him both the opportunity to speak and the wisdom of what to say. So that's, so when we send out people Taking it to the streets, we should be praying that they know what to say and they know they um, uh, they have the wisdom to say it. 
But there are ways to pray for people that are not, not, not a specific prayer request. Like if you want to start praying for anybody, let me give you some examples of how to pray. Starting in John chapter 17, one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. We won't take the time. Well, we will take the time because I've got to show you a few things. John 17, this is Jesus Christ praying just before he is arrested. says these these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said Father the hour has come and he starts praying and he goes on down but the first ten verses is him getting right or speaking to his father God but let me just kind of run him through I'm not going to read the whole verse but in verse 11 Jesus Christ prayed that God the Father would keep his disciples by the power of his name so Jesus Christ has prayed for you so these are prayers for you. So if you want to pray for somebody else, this would be one of the things you can pray. That God would keep the disciples by the power of His name. Second thing in verses 13 and 14, that the disciples would have all joy. And, and I probably should read them. Maybe I should. Okay, let's read verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from, the, from evil. So one of the things that we pray is that God would keep our disciples from evil. Both ones that try to impose themselves on us and some that we kind of go after. Keep us from evil. In verses 17 to 20, Jesus prayed for this. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also send them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So in verses 17 to 20, Jesus Christ is praying that you be sanctified in everything you do. Those are cool prayers. Jesus prayed this for you guys. And then the last one I'll mention in verses 23 to 25. He says in verse 23, I in them and thou in me and that they, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which Thou hast given me. For Thou lovest me before the, the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee, and these have known Thee that Thou hast sent me. So verses 23-25, Jesus Christ is praying that ye be made perfect. So just think about that prayer list for praying for anybody that's in, in your life. Pray that, that they would be kept by God's name. Pray that they would have joy. Pray that they would be kept from evil. Pray that they would be sanctified. And pray that they would be made perfect. That's a cool list of prayers for just one person. Or, you know, you could tack a whole bunch of people under that list there. But, but Jesus prayed that. So this is a valid prayer list. Pray for other people. God would keep His disciples by the power of His name, that the disciples would have joy, that they would keep from evil, to be sanctified and made perfect. So praying like this for others is something that we should do in our prayers. All the time, regularly. And then there's another one. This is where this... I was In my, my daily reading a few weeks ago, I came across 1 Kings chapter 8. Now 1 Kings is really long, so I don't have time to go through it all. But starting in verse uh, 8... 
back to 1 Kings. Solomon is praying. Notice in verse 8, chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1, Then Solomon assembled the elders and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, and to the king of Solomon, that they might bring up the ark, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and which is which out of the city of David, which is in which is Zion. And then it goes on down to drop down to verse uh, 31. This is when he starts really praying for people. And uh, Well, I'm only going to, like I said, because of the time, we're only about a couple minutes before we finish. Let me just kind of give you the list. I think you have the list in your notes. But in verses 31 to 32, David or Solomon praying that God would judge men that they keep their oaths that they make with their own mouth. You know, Lord, God wants you, David, Solomon is praying that you, David, God wants you to, to keep your oath. If you make a promise, keep it. That's a simple prayer. Uh, the next one in verses 33 to 34, Solomon prayed for the forgiveness of your sin. He's praying uh, that, that God would forgive your sin. Verse 34, Then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people. Isn't that cool? He prayed for, for, your, for your forgiveness of your sin. In 35 and 36, pray that God would forgive their sin and teach them the good way. And then 37, 38, pray that God would hear the prayer of any person and give them according to their own ways. And then 41 to 43, pray that sinners would repent. And then finishing up in 44 to 53, that those who pray to God and love God, that their prayer would be answered. So again, those those very they, they kind of line up very similar to what Jesus prayed. Um, Specifically, praying for your for your forgiveness, for your uh, for your word to be kept, uh, that you be forgiven, that you would repent, that you would uh, that your prayers would be heard. So, so that's when when Paul back in Colossians again. Let me get back here real quick, and we'll close up. says in verse 2, he's instructing the church to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. And then he asks his own prayer, of course, verses 3 to three to 6 is almost his own prayer request. But the point is in verse 2 and verse 6, continue in prayer and that your speech be always with grace. So I wanted to give you some, some suggested prayer things, prayer topics or prayer points that we could pray for other people. Because uh, you could pray yourself for these as well. Ask God to, you know, that He would do the same thing for you as you would ask Him to do for somebody else. But that's the point. David in, or Paul is, is guiding us and directing us. So we'll finish up. I don't think we'll finish up chapter uh, chapter four next week. Maybe we will. Um, back here again. I should have closed my book. Okay, well, we'll close here. I don't think I see another comment that I want to make.
let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this this study on, on prayer and and the uh, the point of of being a, uh, a preserving word that we that we speak to people when we when we share the gospel with them. Lord, help us to find doors of of utterance. Help us to get people to come into the door that's open already for people. And I, I pray, Father, also that you would just help us to always remember to pray and to be instant in prayer all the time. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of, of, of grace and salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mom, good to see you.